0: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: Hi there, and welcome to Stock Club, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. I'm James, and joining me in today's episode are Rory and Anne-Marie from the My Wall Street Analyst team. Today, we're talking about Robin Hood's troubles and the likelihood of it being bought over, the U.S. banning the e-cigarette maker Juul, And the analyst team pitched me two companies that they're considering as potential additions to the My Wall Street shortlist, NerdWallet and McCormick. So Anne-Marie Rory, welcome, welcome to this week's Stock Club podcast. Uh, Just for our listeners out there, before we start, I just remind you guys that we have an extended version of Stock Club that you can listen to exclusively in the My Wall Street app now for free. Uh, at the end of the show, Anne-Marie and Rory are going to go. both going to pitch me companies and I'm going to pick one and they're going to give me the extended pitch in that company. Uh, along with the extended pitch in the app, you'll get the first look for that company. So loads of great things to check out over there. If you want to listen to that, all you need to do is click the lo- link in the notes for today's show and head on over to create a free ca- account in my Wall Street app and listen to it there. Guys, we have a lot on our plate today, so let's get straight into it. And the first Company we're going to talk about is Robinhood. There's a lot going on at Robinhood over the minute, even more than usual. Last Friday, a US Congressional Pro published a 140 page report detailing the events that happened last January, into January 2021 on the market when shares in companies like GameStop and AMC were forced into a short squeeze by retail traders on Reddit. The report, as you went through, it seems to suggest that Robinhood, whose platform facilitated an awful lot of that retail trading, was not so honest about its liquidity at the time. And of course, the company was forced to halt trading on its platform altogether at one stage during that short squeeze because of its liquidity issues. Rory, there's a lot going on in this report. What exactly is this report claiming about Robinhood and why is it so potentially damaging to the company?
2: Where should we start? It's, um, as you mentioned, it's been a very long month for Robinhood as a company. They really can't seem to stay out of the news at the moment. Um, but yeah, I'm kicking this off with that report that came out from the US House Financial Services Committee related to the kind of meme stock frenzy that kicked off uh, in January 2021. As many people remember, there was a surge of trading volume um, in highly shorted stocks, notably GameStop and AMC uh, that resulted in extreme volatility in both names. And, you know, that was uh, Reddit was the kind of the big name company that kind of was Mm -hmm. attached to that. But Robinhood was also a major player when it comes to kind of the brokerage side of things. And I suppose it's kind of important to explain Robinhood's model in order to understand why it it became so heavily linked with the meme stock craze. Obviously, we know Robinhood, it heavily targets kind of retail investors, particularly younger investors um, with its free trading app. And, and Robinhood is, is in the business of like signing up users to their app and getting them to trade as much as possible. Um, rather than charging the users for those trades, what they do is they sell those orders to market makers who pay Robinhood a tiny fee in order to execute that. And, and that fee is actually variable. And um, not to kind of oversimplify things, but basically the more volatile the stock is, the higher the fee they can charge. So mm. really the meme stock craze was kind of it was brilliant should have been brilliant for Robinhood. it was really their dream come true and um, you had this insane media attention worldwide media attention leading to like a huge influx of new users um, and these new users were trading these highly volatile stocks uh, however there was a kind of second component component um to this that' that actually kind of threatened robin hood's entire existence um, and that kind of comes down to the way in which trades are settled so when a person trades a stock, it isn't traded, the trade isn't executed immediately. It actually takes about two days. However, to the end user, it kind of looks if it's traded instantly. And, and this is done through clearinghouses, which kind of hold both stock and cash in escrow for those two days. Again, simplifying matters here. But in the US, this is the National Securities Clearing Corps. And anyone who's a member of this clearinghouse, like Robinhood, like all brokers have to post cash with them to guarantee the trades are completed. Mm. Uh, And that cash is, you know, it's relative to how many trades the customer is executing, but it's also relative to the volatility of those equities being traded. Uh, So if you think about those two days, it takes that the price is moving so crazily they need to put more cash down to ensure that the trades are going to be executed. So this kind of turned what was, I suppose, a perfect scenario for Robinhood into a perfect storm. Uh, and as the report revealed, they came cl- like shockingly close to being totally shut down. In fact, on January 28th, the Clearinghouse told Robinhood that they needed to post collateral about $3.7 billion in order to continue operating. Um, and Robinhood at the time had only $700 million already posted, wow. and they said they could get about 600 more million that day. So, they, I mean, there was a big shortage there, $2.2 yeah. billion they were missing. And this, this is a serious violation of the NSCC's rules. Um, it, it could have prevented them from clearing any trades. They actually could have assumed control of Robinhood's entire portfolio and, and liquidated it in order to limit the risk of default.
1: Um, and, and does any of it matter that it, it wasn't really Robin Hood's fault? So like they, they obviously couldn't have anticipated such, I don't think any of us anticipated such insane movements on the market.
2: Well, no, it's, it's not, it doesn't really matter that it's not their fault. This yeah. is a kind of, this is a credit thing. If you, if you can't cover the money that you need to, the NSCC is just going to say too bad. Like we're not going to risk the rest of the people who, who, are, who are out there, who are paying in and who are doing the right thing. Now, look for some reason it wasn't made clear why and maybe it was because this was a kind of freak event uh, the NSCC chose to waive the rules that morning um, yeah. not just for Robinhood but for a few other firms that had kind of found themselves in that position as well but I mean it it was they were in a very serious position uh, they rushed to raise capital um, they limited trading in meme stocks to closing only uh, meaning, meaning their users could no longer buy them uh, and this caused obviously user outrage I think we saw you know, a hundred thousand one star reviews occurred in like the space of half an hour or something like that. There was a big online frenzy against them. Yeah. Um, and of course, they didn't reveal to their customers at the time why they were limiting these stocks. Uh, and. It it also kind of wasn't quite in line with what Robinhood CEO told the committee. You know, he said that they were comfortable with their liquidity, whereas there's numerous messages and emails that have revealed in this report that showed that they absolutely weren't. They were really worried about this. And um, they had to, you know, they had to suspend new account approvals, you know, knowing that they could not support further volatility, and this led to a queue of about seven hundred and thirty thousand accounts waiting to be approved. Wow! Uh, and this is, I mean, th- there's a quote here from from the Financial Times, um, which is discussing the suspension. A Robert Hood employee said in an internal message that any additional load takes us to the bottom faster. Sharing a photo of a lorry driving off a cliff. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that says it all really.
2: It really does. I mean, like, you know, this is just kind of look, this is a kind of highlight, I suppose, but it's it's uh, it's only one of the few issues that have been kind of bugging Robin Hood over the course of the last few months. As we know, like the, the company's revenue is very tied to volume, both in terms of its customers and its trades. And you know, similar to something like Coinbase, you know, they like I said, they target young novice retail investors those investors tend to be a lot more fickle you know than experienced investors so when things are going well they're trading regularly there's excitement whether it's stocks or cryptocurrencies you know there was a lot of enthusiasm particularly in the crypto space particularly around the very volatile altcoins like doge which elon i see is still pumping on twitter and you just just last quarter they reported revenues down 43% Wow. Um, now that's obviously a comparable quarter from this meme stock craze that we just talked about, which inflated revenue substantially. But seeing revenues fall that much is notable, you know. And it's and it's across the board. Revenue from payment order flow dropped forty eight percent. Revenue from trading equities was down seventy three percent. Crypto revenue fell thirty nine percent. And the stock's taken a major hit because of it. You know, it's it's seventy five percent below its its IPO.
1: Yeah, and I believe there could be more trouble on the horizon too. As, as we've written about, I think it was maybe last week in the My Wall Street app, there have been some recent moves by the SEC to kind of implement new rules that would impact that way. You know, you, you talked about this payment order flow that, that Robinhood, it's essentially how they make money. There, There's a possibility of new rules on the horizon um, that, that will impact Robinhood in that way, I believe, Rory.
2: Yeah, I mean it could happen. It's you know, we don't know anything for certain yet, but we know um Gary Geisner, the, the head of the SEC, is not in favor of this. Um he's spoken extensively against it in the past. He doesn't think it's good for consumers, he doesn't think it's good for for the stability of markets. And you know, this report is is not gonna help those matters mm-hmm. at all. Uh now Robin Hood, you know, they have tried to um diversify their revenue streams out of this. Um, they've come out with you know cards and new additions to the app and, and subscription services, but this would be a ama- you know, any kind of ban on this would be a major blow to their business model. And I suppose that's you know it's also something that's been re- reflected in the share price today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. But amazingly, with all this bad news, there's uh, Robinhood shares are up at the start of this week because of, of rumours that a cryptocurrency exchange called FTX was considering acquiring the company. Now, the CEO of FTX has since denied. Uh, that there were m conversations ongoing, but he did kind of throw a bit of petrol on the fire by saying he was very excited about Robinhood's business prospects. With, with Robinhood, I suppose, being so down in the dumps recently, what, what do you think the likelihood of this company being bought is? It, it's obviously maybe not being bought for uh, a lot of the positives going on, but could somebody see this depressed share price as an opportunity to snap it up?
2: Yeah, it's hard to say what the likelihood of it being bought is. I, I know FTX is, they've been trying to get a foothold with retail investors for a while, they've made that very clear. And, you know, in terms of kind of companies in this space that tick that box, that kind of scale, um, there's no, there's no other kind of company like Robinhood at the moment. And yeah, like we've seen plenty of consolidation in this space in the past. And that's, that's largely because there is usually cost synergies between firms. You know, you can save an awful lot of money by combining businesses like this. So it kind of makes sense an awful lot of the time. But I suppose the first thing to notice, you know, Robinhood doesn't have to sell itself. Um, you know, as bad as things are at the moment in terms of their metrics. They have plenty of cash in the bank at the moment. Uh, I think over six billion. Uh, the last time they reported, like they're not yet profitable, but they are edging towards cash flow positivity. And on top of that, you know the founders of Robinhood have control of this business. Um, they own B shares. They've got, I think it's ten to one voting rights with those shares. And we haven't seen any kind of indication from them that they're looking to sell. You know, there's been rumors thrown around, and I think that's mostly been kind of fueled by. Uh, the CEO of FTX more than more than anyone else yeah um see so yeah, it's not a situation like let's say let's say Zendesk which I think we're going to talk about later where there's pressure there to, to sell mm. um I think there's if there's a kind of buyout it would probably have to be at a pretty steep premium and look we might get that like I said the C- of FTX has not been discreet about how much he admires this company and about his plans to get into the retail space, and and you could definitely see these two businesses working well together in that sense. Um, but yeah, it's I I wouldn't say it's a it's it's going to happen any any at any at the level of the stock that we're seeing now. I think they definitely have to to go above and beyond what what the share price is right now if the if the founders are going to let go of it.
1: I'm getting the distinct sense that Robin Hood is not moving anywhere near to My Wall Street shortlist at any time soon.
2: <laughs> mm, no, <laughs> I don't think so.
1: <laughs> Let's move on then. And uh, here in Ireland, we're often credited with being the first country in the world to implement a smoking ban in workplaces. But we might be looking at the next version of this now, as the FDA in America moved to ban the sale of dual e-cigarettes last week. Last week's decision came off the back of increasing pressure from the F- FDA to curb the numbers of teens and young people that are smoking and it's all part of this broader push from the Biden administration to reduce the debt rate from cancer by at least 50 percent over the next 25 years with a limit on nicotine levels in cigarettes also being pushed. Specifically in terms of Juul, the FDA said that this brand which is owned by Altria which is formerly part of Philip Morris International, probably one of the most famous big tobacco companies, that they failed to provide sufficient evidence to assess the toxicity and hazards in their e-cigarettes. And as I understand it, it's only Juul products actually being targeted here. Um, so, was it just this? I suppose this um, this specific um, failure to assess the toxicity and hazards in the e-cigarettes is it just that that has them in the firing line, the firing line specifically?
0: I mean, like that is the direct reason, but I don't. I think there's a lot of other indirect reasons going on in the background. I mean, mm. for a long time, Juul was kind of the biggest and best name in vaping. I remember when they came onto the market probably, I think 2015 was when they made their, their big debut. You would often hear people say, Oh, I jewel rather than saying I vape. Like that wasn't uncommon. Mm. Um, and by 2017, they controlled something like 72% of the vaping market. So if you were going to target a company, you may as well start with the biggest and the baddest. It also, I think because it became this poster child for underage smoking, I think it always drew an excess of criticism from the government. They blamed jewel for, you know, looking cool and sorry. Someone just called me on the phone and it cut out my internet. (laughs) Um, Sorry. Uh, the I think government officials were always quick to blame Juul and its marketing and, and all of its flavors for trying to attract teenagers. And that obviously caused the FDA to launch an investigation into them in 2018 and, and remove these flavors, things like Fruit Melody and Mango and, and uh, Alpine Mint, you know, classic cigarette flavors. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, just from like a general health perspective, Juul is truly the worst of the worst because it has higher nicotine concentrations than pretty much any other vape on the market. So it's like if you are going to vape you probably shouldn't use a jewel. and um in terms of your health um I've
1: always found it weird I I don't know if it's jewels specifically but other vapes were like some of the flavors they kind of sound healthy they're like you know talking about like fruits and stuff like that I've even seen like vitamin ones and you're like it's it's very very misleading
0: yeah it'll be like summer wind and I'm like "Mm, I don't know if I should be inhaling that necessarily (laughs) um
2: I would love to be one of the people who like comes up with the names for those
0: yeah you know like
2: you know the people who make like the names for paints like elephant's breath yeah it's a great job the
1: names for cans of monster
0: yeah (laughs) apparent i was on a reddit thread earlier trying to look up what the like flavors for jewel were before they got banned and every across the board everyone said the worst flavor was creme brulee so yeah. yeah So that seems to be the worst one. Um, but to be fair, creme brulee is toasted at the top. So maybe that was what they were going for. Anyway. The
2: camel. The camel <laughs> of jewell. <laughs> <laughs> Toasty goodness.
0: <laughs> anyway, uh Juul is was still far and away the most popular uh vape on the market. In 2021, they controlled 41% um of the market share, which is down significantly, but you know, they have far more competition than they did when they first launched. So I think that was the main reason that they were targeted for the ban, is, is they were the biggest, they were the worst, and also, yeah, they failed to disclose a tremendous amount of data to the FDA to allow them to determine any relevant health risks. So yeah. you know, fear the FDA it has to be done.
1: So, so, so kind of sounds like this is the first strike and what is probably going to be a prolonged battle against, you know, e cigarettes and vaping. Mm -hmm. You you expect to see this ban widened or or should we expect to see this ban widened?
0: It's difficult to say. I think other vape companies have. Done a better job at presenting themselves to the FDA. So last year, the FDA actually approved um, a number of vapes from one of Jule's rivals, which is the British American, which is British American Tobacco. And they did that because the agency said that the company was able to to prove that tobacco flavored vapes could provide benefits to adult smokers trying to transition off of cigarettes, and that these benefits outweighed the risks to teens. Mm. So it seems to all just be this game of how can you best present yourself to the FDA. So. For right now, it seems that competitors to Juul are okay, but who knows how long that's going to last. I do think there is going to be considerable pressure to lower the amount of nicotine in both vapes and cigarettes. And that obviously means that there will be a reduction in addiction, which should lead to a reduction in usage. So kind of the long-term frontier doesn't look maybe as secure as it once did
1: yeah because like i mentioned there altria who owns jewel was kind of originally part of that phyllis Mor philip morris international group and them spinning off the company was kind of a i suppose it was a pr move in a way and and this kind of move towards i can't remember the term they use for it but it, it's this move towards um kind of these vapes and e-cigarettes and away from the kind of old bad <laughs> bad pr of tobacco uh, it seems that you know Whereas vaping, when it first came out, was seen as a, you know, healthier alternative to smoking and definitely something that people used to get off smoking. Now we are seeing or are we seeing these plans being scuppered by these companies? You know, where where, where do companies like Altria turn next if um, even their healthy alternatives aren't considered too healthy anymore?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think we will continue to see. The future of vaping be reduced by regulation, but then also just broad usage across the board. I went and had a look at teen vaping and smoking rates just to see, because in the United States, there was definitely a a massive increase in smoking in about 2019, and that really freaked the government out, but that's actually coming down. So um, in 2019, 18.1% of teenagers had vaped in the last 30 days, but in 2021, it was only 13.3% of teens. So there is actually a natural reduction prior to this regulation coming in, and only 2.3% of teenagers have smoked Cigarettes in the last 30 days, which that's pretty good. That's not bad. Yeah. So I, I I actually think teenagers,
1: teenagers famously love cigarettes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Um, so there does appear to be regular, like a, an issue of regulation, but also culturally and socially, I think people are just moving away from smoking. So Like any way you slice it, I do think maybe in 200 years, tobacco companies could be extinct, Um, particularly when you see it like legislation coming out of places like New Zealand. They very famously just said anyone born after 2008 will never be allowed to buy a cigarette or tobacco product. So if we were to see more of that legislation and other countries that are buying up a significant amount of tobacco products, that would definitely hurt all players across the board.
2: Yeah. Prohibition always (laughs) works. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> when you when you go to altria's website it is like in big bold at the the front it's moving beyond smoking so it's it's really a, a big pr move for them so definitely not a, <laughs> a this recent kind of developments definitely isn't looking good for them i suppose though more broadly I, I think it's fairly clear to anyone who knows us here at my wall street tobacco companies have never even been considered for the my wall street shortlist obviously but you know we do have other companies uh, we've got alcohol companies on our shortlist um like brown form and we've got diageo there there are a lot of um cannabis companies being talked about um not on our shortlist specifically but that we are aware of and, and talked about do you think there's risk risks for similar industries like this where you know there are harmful effects of these companies um you know i'm thinking for example about the the rise of hard sells over the past couple of years surely something that that's appealing to younger people could we expect to see similar bans or similar crackdowns Uh, is it always a risk with investing in these types of companies
0: it's it's actually funny um because a lot of those companies that we talk about, they're all based in the United States or so they, you know, are regulated in the United States. And I haven't seen anything in terms of regulation from hard seltzers. And that is actually because the FDA does not oversee alcohol in the United States. That falls oh under gosh. the alcohol and tobacco trade. Tax and Trade Bureau, which is the TTB. And the FDA was granted the right to regulate tobacco in 2009. So that's a relatively recent thing. But alcohol companies in the United States have been pushing for decades to not allow the FDA to regulate them. That's I I wonder
1: why. (laughs) I
0: know. (laughs) That's actually the reason why um, there's never any nutritional information on any kind of alcohol in the US. Hard seltzers famously print nutritional labels voluntarily because they're trying to prove to people it's like the healthier option. Mm. So I would not expect to see any kind of regulation for hard seltzers. That being said, really weird alcohol stuff does end up getting regulated by the FDA because they find loopholes in the policies. So for example, back in 2018, which must have been a wonderful year to be a horrible teenager because in 2018, we saw Jules get regulated and we saw the end of four loco. And the reason for that was the FDA claimed that the caffeine being added to four loco was technically a food additive, which they do get to regulate. And they said that adding caffeine to alcohol was very dangerous because the caffeine prevents people from realizing how drunk they were. So they said that we have the right to regulate the additives. So then four loco was forced to remove the caffeine from the drink. So I guess if you're doing really weird stuff, the FDA can regulate you, but um, broadly alcohol is not regulated by the FDA. So we will probably not see um, any sort of regulation in terms of heart seltzers.
1: How still far do, local was ever weird stuff.
0: Yeah. <laughs>
2: that's like yeah. the regulation just don't do weird stuff guys <laughs> nothing can, ridiculous you can pretty much do whatever you want just don't do any weird stuff
0: <laughs> yeah I, which it makes me always wonder because i there's a specific brand of tequila in the united states that is sold with a scorpion in it like a de, like a oh, dried yeah. scorpion down at the bottom how is that not an inappropriate food additive they were like that one's fine the caffeine <laughs> no but scorpions are acceptable
1: <laughs> it's amazing yeah well look something we're definitely going to come back and talk about talk about in a few weeks time i'm sure so let's move on and just before we move on to the mailbag uh, i want to just remind you that you can listen to an extended version of this podcast in the my wall street app it's completely free to listen to listen to all you need to do is download the app on iOS or Android and create a free My Wall Street account. There's a link in the notes for today's show. just tap that to enjoy a longer version of Stock Club. And um, for those of you that are already members of My Wall Street, I've got some more good news. You're now getting more Stock of the Month content every month from the analyst team. So this week, the team posted three short pitches for the companies that they're considering to pick as Stock of the Month in the My Wall Street app next week. If you go into the app now, you can find out what the three companies are along with a brief overview of the opportunities and threats that they see in each of these investment pieces. So next month's stock or next week's stock of the month is going to be one of these three companies. So jump in and check that out before the stock of the month goes live on Wednesday, July 6th. Mailbag. So let's jump into Mailbag. And Rory, as you mentioned earlier, Zendesk um, was obviously bought over or the offer was put out to, to buy it over this week. Um, for about $10.5 billion or roughly $77.50 a share. Zendesk is a company in our shortlist. There's been a pretty long kind of process, I think stemming from the start of this year or even last year about this. So Rory, what was kind of going on with Zendesk and what do you kind of make of it of it being bought over as it's a company in our shortlist? I
2: make that I wish they'd accepted the much bigger offer that they got just months ago. <laughs> <laughs> I know that goes against what we usually say in these scenarios, because, you know, as long-term investors, we want to see our investments play out over the long term. Yeah. Um, but in this particular scenario, uh, you know, they were made an offer back in February for $17 billion. And I'll read what management said at the time. Uh, they said consistent with its fiduciary obligations, after careful review and consideration conducted in cons- consultation with its independent financial and legal advisors, the board concluded that this non-binding proposal significantly undervalues the company and is not in the best interest of the company and its shareholders. Now, six months later, the board is taking, you know, 40% less of that offer. Um, yeah. And not only that, but it comes just a few weeks after they came out and vowed to stay independent um, after a strategic review in which they, I think they looked at 16 different proposals, none of which they said matched their valuation of the business. Um, So yeah, I wish they'd just taken the offer back in February. I know there's been like, there's been an awful lot going on in the business. Uh, I know they were in a pretty Tough battle with activists. Jana Partners, who I think owns somewhere three or four percent of them, they were not happy at all that they turned down that original offer. And I don't know whether it was in spite of that, but the the company had uh, wanted to acquire another business called Mometiv Momet, 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 um that on Survey Monkey. Uh, there was actually a deal in place to do that and Jana partners like I said don't know whether this was just kind of them getting back at them yeah. um, but they quashed that offer said that wasn't happening um so I'm not sure what was going on in management's mind here uh, maybe maybe they thought they couldn't push forward with their plans considering um this the spot they were in that acquisition kind of was really supposed to kind of fast track them into going, going from like the customer service element of the market to the customer experience element of the market. But, you know, the business had, you know, there was a lot of kind of uh, tailwinds behind them. Uh, You know, I I don't know, maybe they just saw their stock price tumble along with Mm. the tech sector in general and decided it wasn't worth the risk uh, going on as a public company. And you know, maybe that announcement just a few weeks ago was in some inside baseball to try and boost their offer. Uh, but I think, you know, we're coming out of this basically dead even on in our investment, which is very frustrating, considering mm. it could have been a 70% gain if they'd accepted the February offer.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Just on that point as well, I suppose, moving away from Zendesk, Rory, I'm curious, we've been hearing a lot of about activist investors um, over the past couple of weeks and, and them getting involved in various companies. Is, is that a symptom of the wider market condition, the wider tech market condition where so many you know tech companies have been sold off so heavily that all of these activist investors are either getting involved now or are starting to speak up quite a lot more now?
2: Well, yeah. I mean, an activist investor is basically an investor who thinks they can do a better job. They <laughs> go like if they, they see what management's doing and they go, Hold on a second, what are you doing with that? That's <laughs> you're making a mess of this. They come in, they either have you know some ideas of their own, um, and want don't want to be listened to. Um, and you know, a lot of the times they do, you know, at, at one point, you know, we we're just. We've managed to not talk about it, Elon and Twitter, but at the at the start of this whole debacle with him and Twitter, he looked like he was just going to be an activist investor. He was going to yeah. come in and he was going to, you know, he wanted an edit button and he wants. Uh, what else did he want? Come to sell the offices, have them all live on the streets or something. You know? He wanted free uh,
1: speech, but he's not exactly sure what free speech is.
2: Yeah, so it, it, no, it, he
1: wanted he wanted to get that guy who tracks his his airplane off Twitter.
2: That's right. Yeah. <laughs> So, and I, and, uh, I, I don't know, I've, I don't know if I've ever seen any data that like correlates with downturns and an uh, uptick in activist investors, but I suppose if you are a major investor in a business and it's down 80% uh, and you have, you know, enough shares in your pocket that they have to listen to you, you're probably going to start speaking up and start wondering what they're at. So yeah, that, that, that could be as simple as it is.
1: Yeah, Absolutely. Well, I'm sure we're going to hear more about Activist Investors soon, but let's finish out today with the elevator pitch. So same as usual, guys, I'm going to ask each of you to pitch me a company for 30 seconds. I'm going to pick my favorite, and then in the extended version, we're going to dig into that favorite a bit more and and kind of figure out if it's a good investment or not. So, Rory, I'll keep you on your roll there. Do you want to pitch me uh, your elevator pitch for today?
2: Yeah, I've been looking at a business called McCormick & Co. It's an American food company. (laughs) Rory,
1: you clearly don't listen to this podcast, when you're not on.
2: Why? Did, who did, I didn't listen to last week's.
0: Yeah, I pitched it last week.
2: You stole my pitch.
0: Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> I, w- I literally went into your notes and copied and pasted out of it. Sorry.
2: You're <laughs> so busted. <laughs> oh,
1: I was I was annoyed at Rory there, but actually now, Anne-Marie, <laughs> you're the culprit here.
2: Well, look, yeah, um, no, I didn't. Rory, listen let's listen to to your podcast. perspective. I didn't listen yeah. to the podcast when I was at our friend's wedding in Czech Republic. Sorry about that. <laughs> <laughs> so you should Rory, have gone
0: what? to the DJ and requested it, Rory.
2: <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Looking at McCormick and Co. And American Food Company folks, uh, focused on seasons and spices. I bet you just read out what I wrote down as well. (laughs) Uh, So this is just really going to be a double up. Global brand, largest producer of spice in the world, 20% share of an 11 billion uh, spice market. American listeners will be familiar with the McCormick brand itself, as well as some well-known brands like Frank's Hot Sauce, Stubbs Barbecue Sauces, Old Bay Seasoning. Uh, Meanwhile, in Europe, I think people will become more familiar with their Schwartz brand, which is typically the only Spices as I ever see on the um, supermarket shelves, which are crazily priced as well. It's like €3 Euro for a tiny little bowl. They derive like 60% of the revenue for consumers, the other 40% from developing and selling flavor solutions to other food businesses. Uh, companies like Walmart and PepsiCo work very closely with them to develop flavors for their their name brand products. It's a super stable business. Uh, it's gone through multiple highs and lows in the market. It just keeps go, it keeps performing. Um, you probably interact with their products pretty much every day without even realizing it. It still has a premium value uh, valuation despite the recent market turmoil, but it is, like I said, super consistent, paid a dividend for over 35 years comfortably in the dividend aristocrats.
1: I preferred Anne-Marie's version. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's because we got caught up in that they provide flavorings for baby food. And then oh. Mike asked about three questions about baby food. That's where we got stuck. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so there's McCormick for the second week running, uh, and Marie, what company are you pitching me?
0: I am doing a second pitch on NerdWallet, which was a company that I did a first look on in November of 2021, uh, right okay. upon its IPO. Uh, just a bit of a refresher, NerdWallet's goal is to provide information that educates users in making financial decisions. They do so by providing both reviews and comparisons of different financial products, including credit cards, banking, investing, loans, kind of any type, personal, student, and mortgages, and then insurance. So they're basically the website you're going to end up on if you ever Google what's the best credit card for me. Mm. Um They IPO'd, as I said, about six months ago, and they are down 70%, which is pretty tough. But it's a company I really like. It's really mission-driven. They have a founder CEO who's very, very involved. Yeah. And I I was a little bit hesitant on them initially because they seem to be in a kind of hyper growth phase during the pandemic. And I was like, oh, this might be an IPO of opportunity. But now kind of seeing them two quarters into being a public company, I I like
1: them. Okay. Uh,
0: Yeah. They're worth a second look.
1: Interesting. Well, Henry, you've convinced me because I just can't listen to anything else about McCormick. (laughs) I promise that if Mike comes in and pitches with McCormick next week, uh, we'll, we'll go with that for the extended pitch. But for now... Let's go with NerdWallet for today's elevator pitch. So guys, if you're not listening to this in the MyWallStreet app, this is where we're going to leave you today. However, if you want to find out more about NerdWallet and what we think of it as a potential investment, jump on over to the MyWallStreet app right now and you can listen to the rest of Anne-Marie's pitch for the company and our conversation about it. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like us to answer or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle on future episodes of Stock Club, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter, that's at MyWallStreetHQ. On TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet. Or simply just email us at pod. At MyWallStreet.com. That's P-O-D at MyWallStreet.com. If you're enjoying the show, make sure to tell your friends about us and please leave a rating or a review for us on whatever platform you listen to us on. Thanks for joining us today. From the three of us here we will talk to you next week.
2: My business used to be weighed down by the complexities of in-person payments.